Sweet. Hello. So for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Tony, and I'm on staff here with Chi Alpha. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, this is my fifth year on staff, and I'm married to the lovely Melissa Sue Wynn, and she's actually over there, so you can say hi. <laughs> she's pretty cool. And um, no, we didn't forget about our child that's at home right now. Um, Grandpa Wally is taking care of him right now, so... <laughs> So anyways, before we start, um, I'd like to invite the Bible pastors up, and if you don't have a Bible or forgot it, please raise your hand, and a Bible pastor will give you one. Um, as always, if you don't actually own a Bible, please um, take one home with you after you receive it. Um, they're a gift from Chi Alpha to you. All right, sweet. So maybe you can recall from when we first started um, this message series on First Thessalonians that... At this time, Paul is currently on a missionary journey. Everywhere he's going, there are new baby Christians, and these people need to be nurtured and helped so they, that way they can mature in their faith. Paul was investing in this new church in Thessalonica, and as, as you read some of it, maybe, you can just tell how much he poured into them and the bond of friendship that they had for each other. It's really cool. However, while these Thessalonian believers were living out their faith and growing, persecution was rampant. People in their hometown were upset about these believers um, and their new faith in Jesus, and so those people were uh, attacking these believers in a variety of ways. We learned that last week, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were desperately trying to come back to the Thessalonians. Um, they felt orphaned or separated from the believers and were unable to visit. So Paul and Silas stayed in Athens, and Paul sent uh, a friend of his, Timothy, which he actually considered him even like a son to him, um, to actually wade through the persecution, the danger, and the life-threatening uh, situation in order to find out the status of the baby Christians in Thessalonica. So the cool part is that Timothy's report back to Paul is an encouraging one. Despite the danger of being beaten, arrested, driven out of their own homes, or even killed for following Jesus, the believers in Thessalonica were still committed to living out their beliefs in their Lord Jesus. So that's kind of a wrap-up. This is where we leave off now. Let's go ahead and dive into our text. It will be 1 Thessalonians 3, chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. All right, it says... But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you, have always, that you ha always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. And that's God's word.
So this is a really short but amazing little text that we get a look tonight. In many ways, this portion of text here serves as a transition from everything Paul has been talking about so far into everything that's what's coming next, uh, which actually is quite different. But there's a lot of neat things packed into this section that I want to look at tonight. And to start, here's a few initial things that I've observed. hope that it can be helpful. So in verse 8, Paul says, For now we, are really, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Have you ever felt that way for someone? What does it look like to be friends who seek the best for one another uh, to that degree? What does it look like to really live because your friend is thriving in their faith? Doesn't it weigh on you when your friend is not doing well and making the wrong choices? So let's turn this question inward, actually, and think, how can we ourselves be standing firm in the Lord? All right, verse 10. When Paul says, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking your faith, what does that mean? Paul means frequent prayer, not just set times during the night or during the morning, but actually all the time. And so I kind of thought of the question, who do you pray for frequently? Something you're thinking about too. In addition, Paul does see that some things are lacking in their faith, even though they're doing super well standing strong through the persecution. He's actually talking, uh, he's actually about to turn to talking about some of the things, the issues that they still need to learn and repent in and turn from their worldly ways to God's ways in some areas. And so, above all, he also longs to see them ASAP. He wants to see them as soon as possible so he can personally mentor them face-to-face in those areas. Have you ever asked your mentor, what is lacking in my faith? Maybe that could be extra credit for this week. Um, Ask the person you have one-on-ones with what, what you could correct or grow in. It's worth a shot. One other thought with verse 10 is, um, who can you be praying for regularly to see again so that way they could grow in their faith? How can God be using you to supply what is lacking in another person's faith? That question actually makes me think of a story when I was an intern at Western. Um, I signed up for Western's uh, kind of equivalent campus friend program and uh, met Ray from Taiwan. And actually, it's kind of interesting. He was married and he was also a pharmacist, um, and yet here him and Tina were at Western choosing to learn English, bridge cultures, see America, and travel through this ed- educational avenue with an exchange student program. So kind of cool. Naturally, he and I bonded because I, at the time, was thinking after my internship, I would pursue pharmacy school, so we had something in common. And so over two quarters, he and I met regularly at an international student gathering and one-on-one meetings. Before and after these meetings, I would pray for my friend Ray, and whenever I'd think about him, I'd just keep praying and praying and praying. And I prayed for him so much over those two quarters that one time when we met up, there were so many opportunities to share the gospel with him, which was so cool, and even share stories about how God did great things in my own life that I thought were miracles. And so before Ray and his wife left Western, Ray told me, thank you so much for teaching me about God. And I was like, man, I could feel that gratitude hit my heart. And I was just like, "Mm, that's so cool. And all those times of hanging out, eating lunch together, 
um, sharing stories about Jesus, sharing about cultures, practicing English, answering questions about life and faith. All of that was used to share God, share God to him, and even um, supply what was lacking in his faith, which actually could have been any knowledge of God whatsoever. So I'm so grateful for that opportunity, and I pray that all of you will have a chance to do that with a friend of yours that you know, and even that they thank you for that because you just spent a lot of time with them and shared and shared and shared because that's part of your life. So back to our text. Um, I find with verses 11 through 13, um, it's kind of hilarious because if you ever read Paul's letters, he does quite frequently burst out in prayer in the middle of his letters. <laughs> it's like as if in conversation you're having with another person and they just spontaneously bust in a passionate prayer without saying, hey, let's pause and pray. <laughs> Paul is so legit, and I just think it's so funny. <laughs> so basically, what's going on with Paul and how he sent Timothy to find out about this precious church? That's what's going on here. Why did, why did Paul send Timothy out? Well, Paul wanted to know about these people because Paul thought of them like his children. He loved them deeply. And he wanted to know how they were doing. Timothy gives such a great report, and Paul is so happy about it. Paul shares to the Thessalonians how much the news of their strong faith blesses and encourages him. He says, now we really live because you are standing firm in the Lord. He gushes about how thankful he is to God because of their strong faith. But now, we're going to turn our focus to one of Paul's major reasons for writing this letter, 1 Thessalonians. Rather than just checking in on them and seeing how they were doing in general, Paul's main concern was actually how they were handling the persecution that they were facing. So when Paul was with them previously, he warned them that there would be, they would be persecuted. He knew that hard times and threats to their faith were coming, and they knew it was coming. So you can imagine how hearing this good report, even in the midst of persecution or hardcore opposition to their faith, brought Paul such relief to hear. It reminds me of, of a feeling I often have as a campus pastor, because even though we modern Americans don't face the same persecutions that the Thessalonians faced, you and I still face opposition and threats to our own faith. So what kind of threats do we face? Common threats to our faith can include parents who don't want your life to change in the ways Jesus is calling you to, Old friends who want you to do the same old stuff you used to do with them. Temptations to date people who aren't following Jesus like you are. Temptations to sin of any kind. How about even professors, departments, or systems on campus that want to be your identity and don't like the fact that Jesus is your identity and he demands, Jesus demands your devotion. Summer, school breaks, those tend to be major times where a lot of these threats surface. Being back with parents, being back with old friends, relationships, and a big temptation to laziness rather than being disciplined to grow. And even the American dream and the lifestyles that our culture idealizes, those are quite opposite to radical obedience to the gospel. And so I want to say those things, but also please know that our parents, our old friends, even institutions, they're not the enemy of the threat. Keep that in mind. It's just how we respond to these situations and if we will continue to live out our faith in the midst of them 
the way that Jesus intended. Does that make sense? Cool. So these are a few common threats to our faith that we tend to face as students on campus. I often feel like Paul when I hear about guys I mentor thriving in their faith during the summer. Like when they intentionally choose to grow and are making right choices, this is the kind of relief that I feel um, whenever I hear that they're really thriving. That's awesome. So, all right, Paul ends this section by praying to God for what he wants to do next in their faith looking forward. This is what we're going to focus on for the rest of our time tonight. There are two points that Paul imparts to the Thessalonians by way of his prayer. He exhorts them to focus on growing in, one, faith, hope, and love. Our first point tonight originally comes from 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. Uh, that verse actually says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So faith, hope, and love are super important. It's an important triad that Paul commonly refers to in many of his other letters. To Paul, they seem to be the key ingredients to a healthy, growing life as a follower of Jesus. Think of the triad of faith, hope, and love as a classic trio of things that go so well together. So as a science major, um, I think immediately protons, electrons, and neutrons, because that makes an atom. So that's a trio, right? Um, if you're thinking food, bacon, lettuce, and tomato, yeah? Well, okay, so some of us went to camp out, and we had this. Graham crackers, chocolate, and marshmallows, toasted marshmallows. So good, s'mores. So why are these ingredients of the recipe that Paul is trying to serve so important? And why are they so important specifically in the light of the persecution the believers in Thessalonica are facing? What are these components exactly? So we got faith. When believers face tests to our faith, so meaning persecution or challenging circumstances or forces opposing us, what is faith and why is it critical for us to embrace? Well, really, our whole identity as followers of Jesus is founded on faith. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are hidden securely in Christ, and we are dead to this world and given eternal life because we have put our trust in Jesus Christ. We put our trust in who he is as the Son of God, our Savior, and all that he did on, the, on earth to die for our sins and rise again as our risen king. Our response to the gospel is based on a simple faith in Jesus and declaring that we are going to follow him forever. Wherever he takes us, wherever he calls us, whatever he calls us to do, we live by faith in Jesus. So that leads me to say, in hard times, faith is the right attitude towards God. Why would Paul call Christians enduring hard times to embrace faith? Well, it's encouraging because no matter what we face, our trust in who Jesus is and what he's done and will do can never be touched. Nothing in this world can reach our faith in Jesus. When we feel like we can't do anything or measure up by our performance or actions, the fact that we're saved by our faith, not by anything we do, 
is what encourages us and rallies, rallies us to keep going. When we feel scared, anxious, or pressured, we can remember who God is and what his word promises and keep trusting in him and living by faith. We remember the gospel and the basics of our faith and keep going. That's what united believers for thousands of years across all kinds of difficult circumstances have been doing. And it's what's true for us today as well. Here's just a couple verses related to what I said about faith, and that can encourage us in hard times. Romans 3.22 says, This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. And then 1 Timothy 6.12, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. For those of you who were just baptized at Spring Camp Out, uh, you can look back on the moment where you declared your faith in Jesus publicly. You can look back to the, you, you know who he is and what he's done for you and know for the rest of your life that it's real and that you're going to follow him by that same faith. So that will help you keep going. All right, hope. So what is hope? Paul calls the Thessalonians to embrace hope in a specific way, hope in the future coming of Jesus that our king is coming back and will make everything right. He will bring us to be with him forever, and he will give us eternal life. So hope in Jesus, Jesus' return, is so crucial. Paul even says, if it's only for this life that we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all people. But because we have hope for victorious eternal life with Jesus, we know that our eternity is secure. Just like no worldly circumstances, powers, or people can touch your faith, neither can they touch your hope. Your future is completely secure by the faith, by your faith in Jesus and perseverance in following him to the end. Knowing that our eternal position is guaranteed frees us to live without fear in this life. So in hard times, hope is the right attitude toward the future. We can look to the future knowing that the same God who put our faith in will provide for us. And as he's provided for our eternity, we can also trust that he will help us in our present circumstances and our current needs as well. And so here's a couple of verses about hope. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, that says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth in a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And the other verse is 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. All right, the third one, love. So (laughs) finally, what about love? Well, 
with love, we know that the love we experience as followers of Jesus and the love that we give out uh, from the same source is from the same source. That's from God. We love because he first loved us. The Holy Spirit pours out generously the love of God into our hearts. God fills up our love tank and keeps it overflowing, and in turn, we freely pour it out to each other. In hard times, love is the right attitude toward each other. What would love look like in the midst of persecution? Being unified with other believers, sacrificing and serving others, putting others first and their needs and interests above our own, living committed, uh, committed to our mission together, encouraging each other, building each other up, never tearing each other down, standing up for justice, showing up to help each other in what we're struggling with even. I like the saying, mourning with those who mourn, rejoicing with those who rejoice. Never living in competition with each other, um, except temporarily in spike ball, so yeah. <laughs> but cheering each other on towards our shared goals. Even loving our enemies. Over the years, countless people have come to faith because of how persecuted Christians loved and served their enemies. One of the first uh, ways was when the prison guard who uh, guarded Paul, he was in jail, and that was in Acts 16. That was a pretty cool story. You should check it out. Loving others in hard times is so powerful. So here's a couple of verses about love. Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our own hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. So we can see how faith, hope, and love are so critical to our, all of our lives as followers of Jesus every day, and also what lifelines those are in the persecution or when we face threats to our own faith. As I briefly went over these, what is God saying to you? What do you need to embrace tonight in regards to faith, hope, or love? What present circumstance, even person, or situation does God want to speak into and give you help and wisdom tonight? In addition to these, Paul gives one final word of encouragement and challenge to the believers in Thessalonica. So this is point number two, strengthening our hearts. In verse 13, um, Paul says, May God strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. There is a really cool imagery here that I want us to camp on and learn from. Uh, the term strengthen meant something like in classical uh, Greek classical literature uh, of the word that means basically literally putting a buttress on a building. Kind of a funny word. Um, you would normally see these on ancient buildings, for example, like cathedrals around Europe, if you've traveled and stuff. And the idea is that normally a common wall is not meant to take sideways loads or like sideways forces, but just you know normal loads of weight. So adding a buttress helps give stability against those forces that are applied sideways. 
And Paul is saying that, may Jesus strengthen your heart. And that's figuratively, as if their hearts needed reinforcement against abnormal attack or abnormal pressure. And that reinforcement would be through Jesus. So as the enemy preys on, on weaknesses, Paul is praying that those weaknesses would be made strong to stand firm against their attack. The main reason for a buttress is to keep a wall standing up, a building intact, and prevent a collapse. So you can see why this makes sense for Paul to use that analogy for believers' hearts as, as they endure challenges to faith. And even he wants our faith, bringing that principle to here and now, he wants our faith to endure, to weather the storms, and to not collapse uh, under sideways forces that come at us. And so, yeah, for example, is like surprising news or friend drama or tragedy that hits us. And so what are some ways that our hearts need to be buttressed or strengthened? There's four ways. One is reading the Bible daily. Um, and storing up God's word in our brains and hearts enables the Holy Spirit to bring it back to our minds when we're facing difficult circumstance. If we're not frequently taking in the living and active word of God, it's like running a marathon malnourished. Um, but if we're taking in his word hungrily and regularly, it's like we're fully fueled for whatever the race brings us. How about developing a practice of prayer? Getting used to talking to God about everything and listening to him for direction will make you ready for storms of life. Because when chaotic or difficult situations come and all the distractions flood your mind, you can still hear the voice you're used to, God's voice. You can still tell what's God and what's everything else. Prayer buttresses up and strengthens our hearts more than we can ever notice or quantify. Third is living in real community. So having peeps you share your true self with, who you seek God with, share your struggles, get help from, get prayer from, seek accountability. It's impossible to quantify how much the discipline of being in community fortifies our hearts, and sometimes you don't notice it until it's actually gone. Like, let's say summer coming up or school breaks throughout the year. Satan has so much more room to work when we're isolated. But when we're united together in a way where we're truly known by others, sharing our lives and praying for one another, that strengthens us immensely. And last is fasting. Getting used to denying yourself and developing a practice of self-control will help you go through hard things. It's because regularly practicing going through something that doesn't feel good and then abiding with God or being with God through it, that strengthens your heart a lot. When, al when we're always used to being comfortable and getting whatever we want, our hearts aren't strengthened. They get kind of flabby. <laughs> so <laughs> we, need, um, we need spiritual CrossFit, like <laughs> fasting, like reading the word, praying, Things that are not easy, but they're better than what's easy, and that connects us with God. So, all right. Um, the main point is that we don't ever coast as followers of Jesus. If we coast, the walls of our hearts get weakened and risk collapsing when pressure comes. We don't hit cruise control after 
living, after giving our lives to Jesus or getting baptized or becoming a facilitator or becoming a campus pastor. We continually press further and deeper. We continue strengthening our hearts and seek more buttressing. So can I share a couple stories, two examples? One is me in high school. A couple sports I did were cross country and track. Anyone did cross country track? Yeah? Sweet. Um, I was a long distance runner, so half mile, mile, two mile. Uh, but I also did uh, both long jump and triple jump too. Kind of strange, but fun. And um, I was a decent runner and jumper. Not too spectacular. But here's the deal though. One of those things I did over the years was that I trained during the seasons and never out of season. <laughs> I would say that's something you should not do. Do not do that, do not follow my example. Um, so high school Tony, freshman year, uh, my mile time got down to 502, cool. And then senior year, my mile time got down to 456, even better, yay, that's cool. Um, I finally got that five minute sub mile, so sweet, sub five mile. And sure, that's great and all, but imagine if I actually kept running, kept staying in shape out of those seasons and between all those years. That's just six seconds that I shaved off in four years. That's like small. <laughs> so um, I was told over and over again from my peers that Tony, he just, man, he just runs and then when, he, when the season's over, he's done. Then when the season starts, he goes back cold turkey, back into running again. So there's so much potential that I could have had, ways that I could have gotten faster, maybe extended six seconds to something huge, rather than wait four years to get six more seconds down. Um, and, and yeah, like rather than starting over each time the season hit, I could have just been in shape, in season, out of season. So I guess take it from me and keep training, keep growing. There's no need to repeatedly shake off that rust, and it's so much better to do it this way than my example. All right, a different example is Russell Wilson. So before this last football season began, Russell wanted to take his strengthening seriously because of all the injuries he had in the previous season, 2016. So he spent the 2017 offseason training specifically to strengthen his weakened, weaker areas and reduce his vulnerability to injury. And he said his overall goal was to be able to play for 25 years. <laughs> Never mind the fact that no quarterback has ever played that long. That's a long time. Um, but Russell Wilson was serious about it. And so he hired a full-time personal trainer who could help him around the clock. His trainer travels with him everywhere he goes, family vacations, all of it. And wherever he was, Russell was there, or wherever Russell was, he was there. And they find a way to train. And they even tailor workouts specifically to reduce risk of injury. And in addition to hiring that guy, his therapist is on call 24-7 for him. Um, she comes to practices, mini camps, and warms him up before practices start, works on him during his lunch break, and does another session afterwards. Now, suffice to say, he handled his off-season very differently than I did. <laughs> but none of us are probably currently able to afford to hire a full-time personal trainer, physical therapist, and all the high-quality food that Russell Wilson has focused on. But thankfully, the things that buttress and strengthen our hearts are free. Yay! 
Um, praise the Lord. Reading, reading the Bible hungrily, praying and listening, fasting, being brothers and sisters to each other in our cores and friend groups. Let's learn from Russell's example rather than from high school Tony's example, okay? <laughs> and let's commit to regularly strengthening ourselves through this quarter, but, but the remains of this quarter, and especially when summer comes before we know it. So in conclusion, um, I have three things for us to think about. One is, how is God using you to impact someone else's faith? Two, how do you need to embrace faith, hope, sorry, <clears throat> faith, hope, and or love tonight? And three, how do you need to buttress up your faith or strengthen your character and disciplines so that you cannot just survive but thrive in the present and coming storms. And those are the things that you face every day at school or even especially with summer coming. At this time, I'd like to invite the worship team up. And lastly, just like Paul prayed for the Thessalonians' faith for these things, how do you want to be prayed for tonight? Who can you pray for? As we enter into worship, I want to ask us all to maybe move around. Ask each other for prayer and pray for each other because we're a community that does that. So join with me as I pray. Lord God, thank you so much for uh, your words through Paul, Lord God. And even uh, such a short message as uh, such a short text as this where it's transitioning us to the next thing, but yet you have your servant Paul saying so many big things like faith, hope, and love. And so God, um, would you teach us what that means? Help us to identify where we could be growing in our faith, where we could be growing in our love, where could we be growing in our hope, Lord God. And even what are the ways that we need to strengthen our hearts in you? And so God, as we pray for each other or even pray with you, Help identify those things, Lord God. Help us to process this well. So in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.